0: At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. Summertime, right? we're there, man. Hey, uh, it's great to see you. Um, our If you've been around North Point for very long, you've heard us talk about our mission. Our mission is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. So uh, that's all people moving towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. So there's a discipleship part of that. There's an outreach part of that. And um, uh, just just want to Give you an opportunity to let you know about something really, really cool. This summer, um, we're going to be we're going to be helping some families host block parties. The, the North Point Band is going to play at those parties. Um, we've got some stuff that we're going to do to help facilitate that in neighborhoods. It's going to be really cool. That's all designed to help start conversations with people about who God is. Uh, you know, it's a kind of an interesting conversation to say, "Wait a second, your church is helping you do this block par- that band's from your church." Going to be a cool thing. There's another thing that's coming up that I just wanna challenge you to think about. It's the Global Leadership Summit. We're hosting it here at North Point, August uh, 5th and 6th, um, and that's a Thursday and Friday. And, and I wanna encourage you to just take a second right now and think through, are there people that I work with, people that I interact with that are leaders that could grow in their leadership? This is a world-class leadership training event. Really, really good stuff. We take our staff, our elders, a lot of leaders here from North Point there. Um, if you're a part of North Point, it costs, and you guys are all a part of North Point, it costs $99 if you have the secret code. So if you're interested, if you're interested, send a text to 833-CHAT-NCC with the word GLS, and um, you can do that. And you can, you can um, invite your friends to come and be a part of North Point for that. It's gonna be really cool helping all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our vision in terms of how we're trying to accomplish that right now is by helping see people Jesus working in their life. And I want to start today's message with just an incredible uh, uh, opportunity that somebody took after last week's message to tell their story about how they see Jesus working in their life. Take a look on screen.
1: Hi, my name is Sylvia Jarvis. I have been going to North Point for about five years now, so I thought I would jump on and share my story of how God is working in my life right now. I was inspired by today's message, all about worship music and singing a new song. Our conversation we had in Life Group also inspired me to do this, so I was inspired by Jake Howard, but let's not tell him that part. (laughs) Worship music and like being out in nature has always been something in my life where I felt like I've been closest to God. That's when I can talk to him with a clear head. And um, in worship music, I just praise him for everything he's given to me. Right now in my life, I'm in a time of transition. Um, I'm somewhat recently married. It's almost been two years in June, but it's been during COVID, so that's been hard to um, you know, navigate. We bought a house, so that's new. <laughs> um, and I just graduated college like a month ago. And now that I'm out, I. I don't know what to do with my life. I have never been so confused and indecisive ever, I think. like, If you ask me where I wanna go to lunch after church, I can tell you, because I'm decisive. I would always call myself a decisive person, but now I just feel like lost, I guess, and it's a weird feeling to admit out loud. Bringing it back to music, and why music is important to me, the conversation in life group was, or one of the questions um, was, What songs are you listening to right now consistently or on repeat? And um, why do you think you're listening to those? Like what's so important about them? And I am one of those people who listens to like four songs on repeat if I can. Like I just listen to those over and over again. So I do enjoy car time by myself so I don't bother other people when I do that. But one of the songs that I realized stuck out to me was Alive and Breathing by Matt Marr. And some of the lyrics of that song, um, is joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with the hurting. If you're still alive and breathing, praise the Lord. I kind of read it in a lame way, but listen to the song. It's good. Um, It gets me dancing safely in the car, singing and dancing, but like I got my eyes on the road, so it's okay. And then I was like, so why, you know, why are those words so important to me right now in my time of transition? Uh, And I wrote down some, just jotted down some thoughts in my journal and some of them were like, just God being my heavenly father. Even when I forget or you know just God's not the first thing on my mind he's like I'm always on his mind like that's so special to think that even when I forget he doesn't like he is just perfect and will always be there for me so that was one thing and then um the good news of Jesus and just sharing that with friends and family I think that can be so encouraging um and that i can make mistakes and that it's okay which is funny because i've tried to make this video like six times now but i'm sticking with this one this is it um i just recently listened to um uh, matthew s podcast and it was sam Acho. he was the guest on there and he said god doesn't reject he refines And I think that stood out to me because I'm scared of rejection. I'm scared of applying for a job and thinking like I take it personal like they didn't like me personally when you know it could be a million things even if they don't like me personally it's okay and God is using all this rejection in the worry like he is pointing me in the right direction. I should be looking at him and asking him what do you want me to do to glorify you and I am setting on that path. I don't think and I'm I'm not perfect by any means. I still get really worried and um, you know, my mind strays from his plan for me. But just thinking that, I, I have a little mantra that I wanna remember and I wrote it down. I find myself in Christ. So in this time of transition when I am worried about everything in my life i find myself in christ my identity is in christ and he knows me he has a plan for me and i have to trust the process so that's why that matt marr song is so sticking out to me and it is so good for me to be listening to on repeat all the time because out of all the things that are changing um the things that i can find consistent there's joy that comes in the morning. There's hope still walking with the hurting. And if I'm alive and I'm breathing, I will be praising the Lord. So I hope somebody else finds this encouraging because um, just sitting down and talking out my thoughts with my computer outside, um, I have felt um, more relieved and ready to praise God. So thank you.
0: <laughs> Woohoo! you love that? Good stuff. Uh, here's here's the takeaway. Uh, why, is that, why is that important? I, I think when you see Jesus working in your life, your perspective changes. Right? When you're able to look at what God is doing, what He's teaching, what you're learning, all of a sudden everything else changes. It uh, it just looks dramatically different. Um, anybody anybody ever struggle with um, depression? with discouragement, with, uh, with just feeling like you're the only one trying to get through the day. Um, that's where we're going today. The, this combination of, of the discouragement that overwhelms us and, and what we look at, what we see matters, and, that it makes a difference in terms of how we deal with everything. So if you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to First Kings Uh, We're going to be in chapter, a little bit in chapter 17, a little bit in chapter 18, a little bit in chapter 19, and look at a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He spoke for God to the nation of Israel, and this series, this old school teaching is all about looking at things that happened a long time ago. They may be old, but they're still true, because I think that there's some things, some takeaways that we can get from Elijah's life that are so important for us right now, today, May 23rd, 2021. Hey, I didn't say it yet, but if you're watching online, we're glad you're here. Uh, for, I forgot about that. Um, Elijah, Elijah listen listened to the angst, listen to the struggle that he has in chapter 19, verse nine and 10. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, what are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've done everything that you've called me to do. But the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Do you feel the weight of that? As Elijah says, I'm all that's left, God. This nation that you've chosen has turned their backs on you, and I'm the only one that's left. If you've got a physical Bible, or if you're in a Bible app, not just in the North Point app, if you look down, it's really interesting because verses 13 and 14 are identical to verses 9 and 10. God asks the exact same question, and Elijah gives the exact same answer. We'll get get back to that in a second. Um, you know what happens when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when we feel isolated, we're, when, when we're just kind of down, um, we, we tend to play the same script over and over again in our brain, right? We, we say, oh, man, life's terrible. I'm just not smart enough. Oh, uh, uh, life's terrible. I don't ever get the breaks. Oh, man, the stuff that happened to me when I was a kid, it's impacted me. I'm ne- never going to get past it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm not smart enough. I've got ADHD. You know, whatever it is, we all have scripts that we go back to over and over again. That that just repeat in our mind, and they overwhelm us. Um, the uh, um, Zig Ziglar, who was a motivational speaker that that passed away a few years ago, in his book "See You at the Top," he called those scripts that we play in our mind that give us a reason for why we can't do what God has called us to do, why we can't accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. He called them loser's limp. You know what a loser's limp is? It's, it's when the quarterback throws a bomb to the wide receiver and the wide receiver has beaten the defensive back. And as the ball comes into the wide receiver's hands, the defensive back, who's like back a yard or two, all of a sudden is, uh, you know, he comes up, oh, I hurt my hamstring, I hurt my ankle. It's the, it's the guy who makes the dive in the outfield to try and make the catch, and he misses it, and the ball goes by, and they lose the game. And when he gets up, he's, he's limping. That's the loser's limp. There's, it's like there's always a reason, always an excuse for not doing what God has called us to do. Elijah's loser's limp was that he was the only one left in all of Israel. He was the only one that that was really still trying to serve God. He was sad. He was depressed. He was melancholic. He was pitiful because of his loneliness. Here's the question. What's your loser's limp? What's your script? What plays in your mind when God calls to you and you say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, life's terrible. There's all this stuff that just sends me down. What, what is that for you? What do you focus on? The, the important thing, the way that we deal with Loser's Limp, the way that we deal with those scripts is that we begin to see how Jesus is working in our lives and it impacts what we look at, what we see. The, the, today's message, what do you see? Do you see all the obstacles? Do you see all the stuff around you or do you see what God is doing? That's where, that's where we're going. The big picture for Elijah is, is kind of interesting. God had called Elijah to be a prophet to the nation of Israel at a time when the nation of Israel had turned their backs on God. Elijah's right in terms of his response to God. Um, uh, Israel was a mess. There was a king named Ahab, his wife was named Jezebel and they were evil. Um, Ahab's the king of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and Ahab builds a temple for Baal, for an idol. He builds an idol of, of Baal. He, uh, Jezebel has Asherah Poles, a, another idol that's there, and, and is calling all of Israel to worship these idols. These are the leaders. They're supposed to be even the spiritual leaders of the nation. It's Bad. It's bad. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 and 33 says this. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. How would you like that to be the epitaph on your uh, your tombstone? Man, what a description. Ahab is one bad guy. Um, And and it's easy to get um, consumed by all of the bad around. But what matters is what you see. First uh, Kings 17, verse 1 says this, Eli- Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah says to the king, hey, here's the deal. Because you are so evil, God has to get your attention. There's going to be no rain, and it's going to last until I say that it's going to change. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure Ahab thought, yeah, sure, right. And then the days started going into weeks, and the weeks started going into months with no rains, and, and the month, months became years. Imagine what it would be like to have a drought that lasts more than two years. We go crazy when it doesn't rain for like, what, four weeks, right? All of a sudden, it, like everybody's going crazy because the crops are falling, uh, failing, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, God, when, when Elijah says that, Ahab wants to kill him. Ahab sends out his squad to go kill Elijah, and God sends Elijah into the wilderness. That could be really bad, right? To be sent into the wilderness. Two words, wilderness camping. Uh, right? Some of you are saying, yes, yes, yes. Most of us are saying, give me a hotel, right? Um, God sends Elijah out into the wilderness to, to be by himself. Um, it, could be, uh, it, it could be pretty bad, or it could be a pretty great opportunity to hear directly from God, away from the distractions of normal life, protected from the anger of Ahab. It all depends on what you see say that it all depends on what you see say it one more time it all depends on what you see so elijah's out in the wilderness and god god sends ravens to bring him food out in the wilderness he sets him to, god sends him to a place by a brook the brook has fresh water for him and ravens bring him bread and meat that could be pretty terrible right if you think about it you're eating food that is brought to you by birds Or it could be an incredible example of God's provision for for Elijah in a bleak place. It all depends on what you see. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll keep going that. Um, Eventually, that brook dries up. And God sends Elijah to go live with a widow in this town called Zarephath. Um, and, and the, 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 uh, the drought has been going on. There's not much food, not much water. It's, it's terrible, and this widow is about to die. Literally, she and her son are starving to death. God tells Elijah, go, uh, go stay with this woman, and so Elijah goes to this widow, and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fix me uh, something to eat, and I'm gonna stay with you, and the, and the widow says, I can't fix you anything to eat. I'm getting ready to make to take the last of the oil I have in my house, the last of the flour that I have in my possession, and I'm gonna make a little bit of bread. We're My son and I are gonna eat it, and then we're gonna curl up and die because we are starving to death. Literally, we're going to die. And Elijah says, eh, yeah, I know that, but I want you to go ahead and make me something first. And then you and your son can can have what's left after that that could be pretty bad right you're begging from a dying widow think about that think about think think about the dynamic of that or it could be an opportunity for god to show himself in an incredible way and god shows up she ultimately makes the makes a loaf of bread for elijah she feeds him and Elijah stays with that, and, the, and she goes back to her oil and her flour, and there's still some left. And so she makes some for she and her son. And that goes on day after day after day after day. She feeds Elijah, and then she feeds herself and her son. She feeds Elijah, and then she feeds herself and her son. God supernaturally makes that stuff multiply to show his power. It could be really bad when you think about begging from a widow, or it could be an opportunity for God to show his miraculous power. It all depends on what you see, right? Um, so ultimately, uh, Elijah leaves the widow. Um, the, uh, she goes then, um, well, while, while, she, while he's staying with the widow, that's great, she's being fed, but then the boy gets sick. This is in, I think, in chapter 17, uh, chapter 17, 18. Um, the boy gets sick and ultimately dies, And if you think about that, that could be horrible, right? Elijah is invested in the life of this boy. He's told him prophet jokes around the table, right? Um, they, They have this relationship and he watches him get sick and sick, sicker and sicker and sicker until he dies. That could be horribly bad, right? Or it could be an opportunity for God to show his power in an even greater way. It all depends on what you see because Ultimately, Elijah goes up, takes the boy upstairs, prays for him. God restores his life, brings him back to life supernaturally, and restores him to his mom. It all depends on what you see. Um, In the third year of the drought, uh, God calls Elijah to go see King Ahab. Ahab's been trying to kill him this entire time. He's literally had hit squads going out all over the country to try and find Elijah so he can kill him because everyone, everyone hates Elijah. He's the guy who gave the prophecy that said it's not going to rain and it's gone more than two years with no rain God tells Elijah to go to, to Ahab, and Elijah does. Verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 16. Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I love that. You troublemaker! Is that you? I can't wait to get my hands on you. And, and Elijah says, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah says, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, bring 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, who's another uh, uh, idol, uh, another god, who eat at Jezebel's table. 850 prophets, spiritual people, Baal and Asherah against Elijah. 850 to one, those are pretty bad odds, right? That could be a terrible thing. Or it could be an opportunity for God to show himself in a powerful way. It all depends on what you see. Think about that. One standing against 850. Um, The word goes out. The nation of Israel comes to Mount Carmel to watch this contest. Elijah sets it up. But before he sets it up, he says to the nation of Israel, hey, here's the deal. We're going to have a contest. And you've got to make a decision. You've got to decide, are you going to worship Baal? Are you going to worship the Asherah pole or are you going to follow God? Because it's going to be clear today and you've got to make a decision. Um, And then he describes what's going to happen. There's going to be two altars, two bulls that are put on the altars. The prophets of Baal are going to to, uh, pray to Baal. They're going to cry out to Baal. And and if Baal's real, he's going to come come down and consume that that bull on on the altar. He's going to catch it on fire. And if God is real, the God of Israel is real. He's, gonna do that. He's going to do that to the bull that's on the separate altar. So the prophets of Baal start the process. They begin to cry out to Baal. Um, they, they scream and cry and wail and do all kinds of stuff. That, uh, that they go for somewhere between three and five hours of calling out to Baal. When Baal doesn't immediately answer, they begin to cut themselves, because if they cut themselves, they show how serious they are, and that's going to cause Baal to take action. At about three in the afternoon, somewhere in there, what, what you've got is 450 prophets who are exhausted, who are bloody, and, and it's a mess. And Elijah says, you know what? It's my turn now. You guys stop. Baal hasn't answered. If you want to read uh, chapter 18, it's great reading because Elijah just taunts the snot out of of the prophets of Baal. He, uh, he, he, He just is merciless with them. But then Elijah says, before I pray, here's what I want to happen. I want you to bring water, probably from the Mediterranean, big, big tubs of water, and just flood, flood that bowl that's on the altar where I'm going to pray to God. Immerse that thing, and and so they do. They pour water and water and water so much so that they build that they dig a trench around the altar and this ground that hasn't had any water in it for all this time, where you would think the the water would just seep into the ground, it fills that. There's that much water, and then Elijah prays, and God responds, and spontaneously that bull everything catches on fire and it consumes the bull. It it just incinerates it. And the altar and all of that water that was in the trench, all of that gets licked up by the fire. And God shows himself. And look at what the nation of Israel says. Um, uh, chapter 18, verses 39 and 40. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Um I think in the original language, the, the rabbis would have looked back at that and said, uh, no duh, right? You know, they have seen God come down and show himself in an incredibly powerful way. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. As soon as they're killed, Elijah says to Ahab, Soon it's going to rain, I can feel it. Soon it's going to rain, I can tell. Anybody know the Fantastics? No, sorry. Um, the Broadway show. Uh, Elijah, uh, Elijah says to Ahab, hey, it's going to rain. You've got to get out of town. You've got to get back to town. Hop on your chariot because it's going to rain and it's going to rain like crazy. It's not rained for more than two years. It's in the third year of the famine. And Elijah says to his servant, um, he, hey, go look on the side of the mountain, go look out towards, towards the, the water, to, towards the Mediterranean, and, um, and tell me what you see. And the servant comes back and says, I don't see anything. The sky's blue, it's clear, nothing going on. And Elijah says, mm, you know what, go again. And the servant comes back and says, I don't see anything. Six times that happens, that interaction Elijah tells the servant to go. He comes back. Nothing's going on. The seventh time, the servant comes back and says, you know, there's a cloud. I see a cloud. It's the size of a man's fist, but that's it, and Elijah says, look out. The storm is coming, and Elijah takes off to go back to Jezreel. Ahab has, has hopped on his chariot to get back to Jezreel, um, and, and a storm comes. That's crazy. You would think at this moment in time that Elijah is like Rocky on the steps of the art museum in Philadelphia, right? That he's going, yeah, God, yeah. God has shown himself, but look what happens. Look what happens. Um, Ahab tells Jezebel what's, what, what has happened that day and that the 450 prophets of Baal are dead. And Jezebel goes crazy. She goes full-blown Karen. Right, and, and, and says, you know what? So, hey, here's the deal. Elijah, you're gonna die in the next 24 hours or I'm gonna die trying to kill you. She, she issues this threat that she's gonna use all of her resources to take Elijah out. And that threat makes Elijah forget everything that God has done over the last three years. Verse three of chapter 19, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, picture that, I mean, a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever felt like that? I've had enough, God. Just take me out of this situation. It's such, it's such a hard thing to understand because Elijah has seen God work in such powerful ways, and yet he is so discouraged. I think there's probably a cumulative effect of the famine and everything that's happened and the threat from Jezebel, but he just wants to die. God sends him out into the, uh, the wilderness again. He lays down there, um, and an angel, the scripture says that an angel pokes him and wakes him up and, and has for him there, has, um, has loaves of bread on on hot coals. So he's having hot bread and fresh water there in the wilderness when the angel wakes him up. He falls back asleep. The angel pokes him and wakes him up a second time. And this time he's got angel food cake there. Um, not really. Uh, not really. It's, it's more bread that's there. Um, but Elijah's body is restored and he sets off on this journey that God sends him on to go to, uh, to uh, Mount Carmel, I'm sorry, Mount Horeb. Um, Mount Horeb's about f- uh, probably 260 miles away from where Elijah is at this moment in time. And the scripture says that it took Elijah 40 days and 40 nights to walk those 240 miles. Now start doing some math in your, in your brain excuse me, um, and and recognize that most of us can walk probably about 20 miles a day. Uh, uh, For perspective, 260 miles is, if you were gonna walk to Cincinnati or if you were gonna walk the other direction to Munising, that's about 260 miles in in either direction. You ought to be able to walk that in uh, probably 10 or 12 days. And, And another part in the Old Testament said that journey was about 11 days journey. It takes him 40 have you ever been so discouraged, so despondent that even a little task took like 10 times longer than it should? There's the, you look at that task and you think, I'm gonna do it. No, I'm not. And then you start and you think, oh, what's, what's, it, what's, what's the use? And it just, it extent, I, think, I think that that was probably the case. It's possible that, that's, that this is just a figurative expression that says it took him a really long time to get there. But I think, I think Elijah was just walking so slow, so discouraged, that it took him 40 days. Uh, verse 9, this is the passage that we started with this morning. The word of the God comes to him when, when he's there on Mount Horeb. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me too. That conversation is both easy to understand and difficult to understand. It's so hard It's so hard to understand that because Elijah has seen what God has done over and over and over again. How he has used him, what he's done. But it's um, it's. It's also easy for us to understand because we understand when we look at things and they overwhelm us, right? It's easy to focus more on the threat than the thrill of seeing God work. It's easy to focus more on the odds that are against us than than on the one that we know is the overcomer. It's easy to focus more on what we can see immediately around us then we can see what God has been doing in the past and what he's doing in our lives right now. Verse 11, the Lord says, go, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Um, understand that, that Elijah right now is on Mount Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai in scripture. It's the place where Moses had gotten the 10 commandments from God. It's the place when, when, when God had gone by, Moses had been in the cleft of the rock. And the presence of God was so powerful that it, that it shook everything. God says, you know what? Go stand on the mountain. God's presence is going to come by. And what happens then is that there's this wind that's probably like a tornado, a microburst, something like that, because it causes rocks to split and to fall off the mountain. And Elijah realizes God's not in that wind. And then an earthquake happens. The ground shakes. It's spectacular. It's powerful. It's scary. And Elijah knows that God's not in the earthquake. And then a fire comes. My guess, my best guess is that earthquake happens and the, and, and the mountain became volcanic. That You know, there was lava and that. Stuff caught on fire. The mountain caught on fire. And Elijah knew that God wasn't in the fire. But then he heard a whisper. A still small vice. Verse, verse 12, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood by the mouth of the cave. Elijah recognized the voice of God in that moment. He knew it was God, even in a whisper. How is it that Elijah knew it, that it was God in the whisper and not in the wind, not in the, not in the earthquake, not in the fire? it was because he knew God. He had heard his voice so many times. He knew God's. How do you recognize the voice of God in your life? It comes from listening to him, from reading his word, from spending time with him. You don't recognize the voice of God by simply coming to church and hearing the message on Sunday morning. It comes out of your relationship with him. The voice said to him. A second time, verse 13. What are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah repeats word for word. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah knows God's voice. He knows God's power. He's seen it over and over again, displayed in his life, and yet he's still discouraged and alone depressed. He's in a funk. He's scared. But God asked him that question two times. What are you doing here, Elijah? Many of you are married, right? Many of you are parents. Many of you, all of you, are children. You know at home when you're asked the same question twice that usually the first time it's to um, ask the question and the second time it's to tell you to do something, right? Honey, Are you going to take out the trash? Yeah, sure. Honey, are you going to take out the trash? When you hear it the second time, it means there is some action that's needed. Correct? You got that? That's what happens here, I think, with God, with Elijah. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you in this place? You know who I am. You know what's there, but when he asks the second time, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? You've got to go and do what I've called you to do. The question for you is what's your purpose? When God asks you, why are you here? Why are you in the place that you're at right now? What is it that I have for you? Verse 15, God says to him, go back the way you came, and let me show you something. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Your job's to go to the desert and anoint. And then you're to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Sapheth, uh from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. God says to Elijah, I've got stuff for you to do. You need to go and anoint these guys. Because they have tasks that they need to do as well. They have jobs that are going to impact others. The next verse, verse 17, he, he says this, Jehu is going to put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. Haziel is the first guy he's supposed to anoint. Je, he's supposed to anoint Jehu. And Elisha is going to put to death anybody that escapes Jehu. God says, there's all this stuff that's going to happen because you take action right now. Elijah, what are you doing here? I have things for you to do. It all depends on what you see, right? No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how many things are overwhelming you, God says to you, what are you doing here? What, I understand, I understand your pain. I understand what's going on, but I've got things for you to do. And the easiest way to to get perspective, is to do what I've called you to do, to follow me. Um, When we begin to see the right things, everything else falls into place. And God says, this is kind of when you read between the lines, God says, and by the way, whiner, you're not the only one left. Look at at what he says in verse 18. "After After he has said what are you doing here? I've got things for you to do. He says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You think you're the only one left. You think you're all alone. That couldn't be further from the truth. So take hope, take joy, Um, Recognize that even in the midst of your pain, you're not alone. Jesus is working in your life. He has things for you to do. And, And there are things that are gonna happen because you respond to him, because you answer in the right way. Don't sit in your sadness. Stand in the salvation that's come through Jesus. See what God has called you to do Pursue it. Don't focus on your pain. Don't focus on the obstacles. Don't focus on the what ifs. Don't focus on the loser's limp. See what God has called you to do and do it. See how Jesus is working in your life. Share that with others and follow Jesus. You're not alone. Let's pray. God, I, I pray right now. For the people that I know who are here, who have just listened to this message and, and, and are discouraged, they're carrying a burden, they're feeling that, God. God, help them to hear your s- sweet, small voice, your still, small voice. Help them to recognize that's you. Help them to hear the tenderness of you asking, why are you here? And to hear the gentleness as you ask a second time, why are you here? God, help us to see what you've called us to do. That even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of of the things that hinder us, that hold us back, that you've got purpose, that you've got things for us to do. Help us to see that, to trust you. And to recognize how faithful you've been in the past.